Hey everybody, John Fan Church of That Walls International, CWOWI.org, House Church Network. We rotate homes, rotate, rotate who leads each week so that all can share what Christ in them is doing. And it's, it's, you know, what I always say is that anybody can say they're born again. Anybody can say they know the Lord, but God in his wisdom has made it so that righteousness is proven within a framework of relationships. And it's the vertical and the horizontal that we learn and grow together. So we meet in homes, rotating homes, rotating who leads. And, um, and it's an amazing thing. It's the way they did it historically in the body of Christ for the first 300 years, uh, from Pentecost on to uh, the legalization of Christianity, uh, you know, 300 years later, roughly. So anyway, enough about us talking today about the number four. And, and this is something that, you know, I, I study lots of different things, but, uh, at any given time, I'm reading about a half a dozen books and just praying and meditating on certain things that the Lord will quicken to me. Number four is something that I've felt quickened, uh, for you today. And so I'm going to share about that. Um, the number four and the number seven, for instance, uh, stand out. Number seven in scripture is a number of completeness. There are seven days in a week. The eighth day is the day of, uh, of the new week. And so the number eight becomes the, the number of new beginnings. Whereas the number seven is the completeness. The work is done. In the book of the Revelation, after the seven seals have been broken, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls have been poured out. Uh, it's a, it says there's a voice on the seventh one. There's a voice that says, it is finished. And there's silence in heaven for half an hour. So the number seven is completion. It's, it's the complete work. But the number four is a completion within the larger seven in the same way that day four of a week can maybe be a completion of things, but it's not the whole week. And so the number four is important because there are the four compass points where Jesus said in Matthew 24, 31, that at his return, he's going to send his angels to collect the saints from the four winds of heaven. Uh, and so the, it, thankfully, he's not collecting us from the earth. Um, Matthew 24, 31. And so the four winds signifies the four compass points of the earth. It's a completeness of the of that thought of, in terms of uh, the four compass points of the earth. And, and also there are four rivers in the Garden of Eden. And so that, that's like the, the garden was a unit. It wasn't the whole planet, but it was a unit within and it was complete within itself in its place on the planet. And so uh, the number four could also be seen in the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness for Israel and also the 40 days of temptation that Jesus uh, went through at the start of his ministry. But it was just a season. It wasn't his whole ministry. It was just a small part at the beginning of his ministry. In fact, I think it's Luke 4, 12 maybe says Satan left him for a season. Um, Satan would try to tempt him, uh, take his life, etc. later on throughout his life. I mean, his first sermon, they tried to throw him off the brow of a hill. Then he was asleep on a boat that was about to sink. Uh, you know, he's in John eight fifty eight. he said that he knew Abraham and that he was the I am before Abraham was I am. And he claiming to be the one who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush and they took up stones to kill him. But it says he hid himself and he passed through their midst. So there were different times that Satan tried to kill him and eventually uh, succeeded. First Corinthians 2, 8 says, if the princes, if the demonic princes of this world had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It was a trap. But for that season at the start of his ministry, those 40 days uh, of temptation were were a unit. And so the number four is important. And it gets that way um, in, in Judaism. And I want to zero in now on Passover and the four cups of Passover. Uh, th there are four cups. And, and the first one, uh, has to do with, uh, and they say this, I will bring you out from the burden of the Egyptians. That's considered the first generation of Israel. Um, when they look at the number four in the context that we're talking about, it has to do with uh, the four generations. Uh, 
Um, there's a scripture in Numbers, I think it's, what is it, 2310, where Balaam is asked to curse uh, Israel. And he says, you know, how can I curse the fourth part of Israel? And the fourth part of Israel, or the fourth generation of Israel, doesn't mean anything to us, but it meant everything to, to, the, to the Jews. Um, they take it as a, a generational thing. Uh, for instance, it, the first cup is uh, that I will bring you out from the burden of the Egyptians. Uh, the second cup is I'm going to deliver you from the bondage. So not just coming out of Egypt, but the bondage of being slave. The third cup or the third generation is I will redeem you. And the fourth cup or the fourth generation is I will make you my own people. And so in Passover and in, in, in the life of, of Israel, the number four is very important. In Deuteronomy 5, 9, um, you know, God says, I will visit for those who hate me. I will, I will not forget it even to the fourth generation. And we look at that and we think, oh, you know, we don't have that understanding. But by the Lord saying the fourth generation, he's talking about the completeness. In other words, he's not going to forget uh, those who hate him. And he, he's, you know, if they hate him, then, then he is against them. You know, if you, if you humble yourself and, and ask the Lord in, then, then you've got him. If you harden yourself, then he will back away. And so Deuteronomy 5, 9, that he will visit that upon the fourth generation. That means a completeness, the, the wholeness of that family or, uh, anyway, it means more than just, you know, like we think of it. Oh no, the third and fourth generation. The Lord's trying to communicate a completeness of work there for those who hate him. He, there's a completeness to the work of it. Okay. Back to Passover, the four cups, the four generations. And so they, they got that four generations, uh, and four cups from the life of Moses. They considered that the, from the birth of Moses until he was 40 years old, that's the time he was raised in Pharaoh's household where Acts 7.22 tells us he was educated in all the ways of the Egyptians. That's the first generation. And that relates to you and I as our new birth time, if you think of it that way. That this is the time we're coming up in the Lord. It's a honeymoon time. We are learning. We are growing. Everything is wonderful. You're taken care of. I mean, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household. He didn't lack for anything. That's the first generation as they consider it in, 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 in Judaism. The second generation... <clears throat> is when Moses was 40 years old and he killed the Egyptian, buried him in the sand, and then had to go and leave Egypt and go to Midian. And the, that next 40 years is the second generation. And that relates to us in that we, um, we, we have our honeymoon time with the Lord, but then we, uh, we stumble. You know, Moses, it says in Acts 7.25 that Moses killed the Egyptian, supposing that his brethren would have understood how by his hand he would deliver them, but they understood not. In other words, Moses was using his training, his education that we're told about in Acts 7.22 to start a civil war. That's what he thought. I'm going to kill the Egyptian. Everyone's going to rally around me. We're going to rebel and we're going to get out of here. And the Lord was telling him that's basically that's not how it's going to happen. You've got the revelation right, but the actions are wrong. And that's like the second generation in our walk with the Lord. It's like we have a stop-start type of thing. We do some things right, and other times we don't. But during that time, what happens? Moses leaves. He he, he gets married. He has a family. He finds a new career, you know, in, in a land. And he's he, he wasn't afraid of the king. We're told in Hebrews 11, he wasn't afraid of the king. But he certainly was like, okay, I missed it somehow. I'm not sure what's happening. So that second generation is like, you can probably relate to that times where you've stopped, started, had success and failure, but uh, you missed it somehow. But all along the line, you know, life happens and you start a family, you, you have a career and everything else. And you're still kind of wondering about some things that happened early on in your in your faith. So the third generation, the third generation 
again, is the, the one where it says, I will redeem you. It relates to Israel wandering through the wilderness, where they have tremendous victories like water from a rock and manna and low-flying quail and, and the waters of Mara turned from bitter to sweet. And they, but they wander in the wilderness. They, they have great successes and great failures. They, they, they worship the Lord. They see his glory. And yet they're, there they are with the golden calf. They wander 40 years through the wilderness in that way. And, and that relates to our third generation spiritually. And then there's the fourth generation. The fourth generation is the people who, the children of those who wandered in the wilderness. And now they enter the promised land. And that relates to you and I. Uh, in our spiritual walk as we've gone from from the honeymoon phase to uh, what is going on here in starting life and career and everything else to the third generation of stumbling around in the wilderness with success and failure and not always sure what's going on. And then the fourth generation is you finally enter the promised land. Some things start to come together. You still have to fight the giants. You still have to take the city of Jericho, but some things come together and you're starting to see things in a deeper way. And that's the fourth generation. And so we can, so I want you to consider that, that we are all having these stages going on independently within the seasons. We are the fourth generation. And I want you to, to think of yourself like that. Many of you may be like, okay, there's parts of it that I'm still like the third generation. Yeah, I get that. Uh, you still have the, the giants to battle and, and your Jerichos to take. But I want you to think of it in terms of that you are the fourth generation, the one that sees the promised land, the one that will see the promises come to pass. And so take whatever the Lord has spoken to you about your children, your grandchildren, about life, about what his love and his purpose is in your life. And you, and you look at that and you take it to heart and you say, yeah, that's me. I'm that fourth generation. I'm going to see it. I may get raptured out of here. I may see it in one other, one other some other way, die and, and go to heaven first, whatever the case is, but I'm that fourth generation. I'm God's fourth generation. And so think of it in those terms and you will be blessed. You will, you will, you will also be able to look at your own children or grandchildren or those around you that are eager for the Lord. And you see, you know, the generations or you see young people and you see them in that time, like that first generation from, you know, raised in Pharaoh's household type of thing, but, but, but being educated, having that honeymoon time with the Lord. And you can look at different people. You've got the wisdom to see the first and second and third and fourth generations of people, spiritually speaking. And just know that it's a number of completeness. And so look at your life and look you know, through that common thread and you can see those different stages and why the number four is important because you're just like, okay, I am the fourth generation. I am seeing successes. I'm seeing some promised land in my life. You may still have a part of your life, you know, kind of like a, a pizza sliced into 12 slices and you may ha say, you know, in six or seven of the slices, I'm, I'm that fourth generation. But in a couple or three of those slices of my life, you know, I'm still out there in the wilderness and sometimes I'm just having that honeymoon time with the Lord. It all mixes together. But but take that as a point of faith, a point of a, a confidence and assurance that you are somebody's fourth generation, whether the generations that preceded you or the generations that are looking back and saying, yeah, you are my fourth generation. And personally, spiritually, you can say, I'm the fourth generation. I'm going to see the promises come to pass in my life the way the children of Israel saw that. And, and yes, you have to let that previous generation die off. The third generation wandered in the wilderness and they died off. And there are always things that have to die off in our lives before we inherit the promised land. But you can do it. And, and, and it, these four markers, four points of the number four uh, mark of completion for a season of your life, I hope uh, provide a, a point of contact, a point of, you know, a grab hold, a signpost in your life to say, yeah, that's where I'm at. 
today. All right. God bless. I hope that's been a blessing to you. Hope you can take something from it and make it your own. May the Lord quicken it to our spirits as it relates to each one of us, that you are that fourth generation. And yes, you've experienced the first, second, and third parts of it, but you're somebody's fourth generation. Be that fourth generation and, and inherit the promises. Fight the giants. Take your Jerichos, but you will inherit the promises. All right. God bless.